Blog Talk Radio. Alabama defense, 
and literally scores the winning touchdown on the, uh, the what what time was was the final play of the game on a pretty clear pick play that was not called. Um, so it was as razor thin and close as it could possibly be. Uh, I thought he, I, the last two years, my impression of watching both those games were that Clemson had the better team both times. Alabama found a way to win with big plays two years ago. Uh, Clemson got it done last year by the slimmest of margins. It's still tough to beat an Alabama team that comes in with all of the uh, the self-belief and the system works and, and uh, Saban – you, you really – it's hard to uh, refudiate the record that the man has in big games. So I think from an intangible standpoint, since they come in, uh, you know, as the team that's, uh, that feels fortunate to be there, maybe they'll play a little more loose. And I thought it was interesting Saban this week made the comment that, uh, that the first year of the playoff when uh, Ohio State beat them in New Orleans – uh, he said the team just didn't have the right perception for the game. They were treating it more like a bowl trip. And it is kind of funny, if you think about it, that these games are considered the Sugar and Rose Bowl, but it really is not a bowl game kind of a situation. This is more of a business trip than a reward for a great season. And I think maybe the first couple of years of this, some teams have gotten caught in that trap of, of you know, some guys are a holdover from previous bowl-era situations that are in this playoff, that these games, although they're in those venues, are really not bowl games per se. These are playoff games, and and uh, uh, Saban attributes a lot of that uh, to the, the first team that he had that did not uh, succeed, and he, he really feels good about this team's preparation. He says they've got the right attitude. So I, I, I think from sheer matchup, Clemson may have overall a little bit better personnel uh, in terms of just the seasoning uh, on the on defense and and in some other key positions on the offensive side of the ball, I think the advantage goes to uh, Alabama for having more guys that have been there before. Clemson has some new guys, including their quarterback Kelly Bryant. Um, you know, it's it just a game that I think Alabama's got to uh, got to shut down the Clemson offense. I think the Clemson defense is a given. They're going to have some success against Alabama. I think Alabama wants to be in a knockdown, drag out, 16-13 kind of game, and I think they yeah. can succeed. I guess the the key is, though, this is not the Alabama defense that we've seen before, Chip. They've shown vulnerability uh, in several games. They've had terrible injuries to their linebacker core. Um, they may be getting a little healthier here. We'll see who's available uh, come game time. Moses, the freshman linebacker that played a lot in the second half of the season, got hurt in practice a week or two ago in the linebacker core. That was the, the last thing Nick Saban wanted to deal with. But um, yeah. I, I just think it's going to be – I think Alabama can win the game if it's a knockdown, drag-out, slobber-knocker kind of game in the trenches, and they just kind of win by attrition. And I still like Jalen Hurts' ability to make a big play when it really counts. So I, I, I kind of have – I'm going to just tentatively give the edge to Alabama – uh, in if they can play that kind of game, and I'm sure Saban and his staff understands that's the kind of game it really needs to be for them to win. That would be a departure from the last two years, which have been pretty much wide open offensive games. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, Kip, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna welcome in the Savage Bird, Steve Butler, in just a minute, and kind of get Steve's thoughts on it. But uh, you bring up a couple good points, and it's interesting um, about kind of being a bowl game atmosphere. I mean, the way the way these games are set up. And, and I think Nick Saban was right, you know, on the first time. This is very much – these games are very much set up like balls are. And let me explain to you why and what I mean by that is, unlike the national title game, where the only obligations that the teams have is media day uh, and then showing yeah. up for the game and then they're, they're kept sequestered from the media. They, they don't have any public activities. They don't play games or go to Disneyland like – like uh, Georgia and Oklahoma did today. But, you know, these semifinal games, they, they are set up like bowl games in the fact that the teams do get there five or six days before the game. They do have public and community obligations and appearances beforehand. They do go to children's hospitals and meet with patients and, and, uh, and uh, you know, get, get their pictures taken, doing, doing the same thing that most teams do when they go on a bowl game because they, they don't want to take that aspect 
away from the four teams that are in there. And as a head coach, if you're Nick Saban, you've got to have mixed emotions about that, and he has in the past. If these teams get through the semifinal game, they don't have any of those distractions in the championship game. It is all business. And, look, if, if, uh, if Alabama or Clemson is in this game, it's not like they have to fly cross-country to, uh, to mm-hmm. get to the national title game. The, with the title game being in Atlanta this year, it is less than a two-hour drive from Tuscaloosa. Well, it's a little bit more than a two-hour drive from Tuscaloosa, but no, nonetheless – um, uh, uh, very easy to get from Tuscaloosa to Atlanta. Very easy to get from Clemson to Atlanta. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see these teams come in, you know, maybe a day and a half before kickoff. So that'll be interesting. I think this game could come down to intangibles. You know, this game has me going back and forth too, Kip, because I have two rules um, in college football. Number one, I don't bet against Nick Saban. And number two, I don't bet against Dabo Sweeney. And, you know, the reality is something has to break. And when you look at the fact that these two teams have played each other the last two years to a 76-75 to 75 score, you know, I think it could go either way. Ironically, I think the intangibles could be working to Alabama's benefit this year. But uh, uh, 538sports.com, uh, you know, ran uh, 100,000 different um, – you know, games between these two teams, and I think they had Alabama winning 53%. That's pretty even huh. matchup between the two wow. teams. So it literally can go either way, much like the Georgia-Oklahoma game that we're going to talk about in just a second. But Steve Butler, the Savage Burn, welcome to the Red Zone Sports Report. Hope you had a chance to ice down that shoulder after your frozen tennis match. Give us your thoughts on what we – what you expect to see uh, in in New Orleans when, on New Year's night, actually, when uh, Alabama and Clemson take the field for the third time in three years. Well, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, and it's good to be with you, Chip and Kip. Um, I think uh, people are going to see a really nasty, boring defensive football game. And as exciting yeah. as the last two meetings between these two teams have been, you're not going to see that. And, there, and I think the real reason is, number one, Jalen Hurts had 41% for, for 131 yards in this last meeting with this defense. And those front four guys are all going to go in the first three rounds in the NFL. And I, I just yeah. don't think Tommy Bryant, on the other end, he's maturing and he's getting a little bit better. I still would give the advantage to Jalen Hurts. As I've said before, I think he's a highly underrated football player. I think Alabama's defense gets a lot more credit than sometimes they deserve, but they still have the best defense in the country statistically. But I think the interesting part is, is really going to come down to whether who can run the football game, although that has not mattered in the last two matchups. Alabama has outrushed Clemson 2-1 to one in their last two matchups with them. Um, but this time I, I think whoever wins the battle on the ground because of the, of the defensive line, the quarterback issues, will probably win the football game. Agreed. So, Steve, putting you on the hot seat, who do you give the edge to? Who do you think is going to win the game coming out of New Orleans and play for the national title a week later in Atlanta? Alabama's just a slight step off this year, just a slight step. And I don't think Clemson's near what they were either. I think people – I'm going to be the counter to your argument, Chip. I think these are going to be two really boring football games because I think Georgia's going to kick the crap out of Oklahoma. And this one's just going to be boring, period, unless you're like me and you absolutely love a dirty defensive football game. So I'm going to enjoy it. I think most viewers would be a little bit boring, and I think Clemson has the edge. Well, let's pivot, Steve, because you mentioned you mentioned uh, George Oklahoma, and we got an hour show today. Uh, the uh, um, the Buffalo Bad Boy Pete Tesca is not going to be able to join us. He's going to join us after the first of the year. Um, he is sequestered until the end of the NFL season um, because for the first time in a long, long time, we are going into week seventeen. We are going into week 17 in the NFL season. The Bills are still mathematically eligible for the playoffs. In fact, um, if they win and the Ravens lose, then the Bills are in. But um, we'll talk about that in just a minute, but we do got to get NFLs. But let's pivot, Steve, since you mentioned it. The Georgia-Oklahoma game in the Rose Bowl, tell us why you think Georgia is going to dominate the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma. Oh, one, the level of competition they play all year versus the other club. It's just not even a, a conversation especially when you got to play, uh, play Auburn a couple of times. And, and I know the SEC East is down, but uh, trust me, it's, those kids are still very talented football players. Um, but secondly, when you, when you look at the defense of Oklahoma, they average double the points in yardage that Georgia's defense allowed against far inferior offenses. Um, I mean, Iowa State just kicked them around in their own house. 
they went on the road and really let Baylor hand it to them and put up 42 some odd points on them. I mean, a Baylor team that's just depleted and decimated. So I, it's hard for me to see how that that defense would be able to contain Baker Mayfield. I think to a degree that it's manageable. I still think Oklahoma puts up 24 points. Don't get me wrong. I think Georgia's going to put up 45 points on this sorry defense that Oklahoma has. And you're going to see these running backs. Once they establish the run, Fromm is going to have play action. And, and I'm, I think he'll have his best day ever as a Bulldog. Interesting, Kip. In previous years, I would agree 110% with the comments of uh, the Savage Burn. But I'm a little hesitant to jump on that this year for two reasons. Number one, I was in that same position last year as an Auburn fan. We played Oklahoma last year in the Sugar Bowl, and we were saying the same thing. Now, granted, that Auburn team wasn't near as talented as this Georgia Bulldog team is, to the contrary. Um, But nonetheless, um, I was uh, extremely impressed with Baker Mayfield, Um, and, and that was a year ago. He's only gotten better. Um, and I, I think, it, as I said, too, in most years, I think what Steve said as far as the level of, uh, of competition, you know, it, it, it was uh, – it's night and day. It's head over heels. This year, I just don't know. I, I, you know, I think the SEC is as down as they've been in 15 years. So, you know, I, I, I live here in Atlanta, Kip, and, and, and I hear a lot of bulldog swag and a lot of bulldog banter about just what Steve said. Now, in full disclosure – Steve's not a Georgia Bulldog, so he doesn't fit into that category. Um, but I, 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 uh, I hear a lot of my Bulldog friends already making plans for the national title. And I don't know, I, I can tell you, I don't think they've – I know they haven't seen a quarterback like Baker Mayfield. And, and they might put up 45. And Steve might be right. But if so, Baker Mayfield might put up 48. Your thoughts, Kip, on the Rose Bowl between Georgia and Oklahoma? Well, I I totally agree with Steve on the premise that I think Georgia's offense is pretty much going to have their way. Oklahoma's defense is very shaky. And Georgia's offense is is extremely underrated, I think, by a lot of folks that, you know, still have the impression that maybe Jake Fromm is is just a game manager and it's not turned loose. I think think you saw a lot of changes and a lot more confidence in him uh, between the two Auburn games. The first Auburn game, maybe that was still the situation where they just really weren't willing to let him cut it loose and, and use the whole field. They really kind of restricted play calling to uh, just, just segments of the field. That's why one of the big complaints all year from Georgia fans is that, you know, they don't they hardly ever attack the middle of, of, of the football field with the tight ends and with slants. It always is kind of wide uh, throws to either uh, – uh, wins on the outside or uh, Hardeman on the other end, but that's because uh, teams gear up so much to stop Georgia's run that the uh, you get you get single coverage on their wide receivers in just about every defensive scheme. Uh, but I thought I thought the Georgia coaches did a good job in the SEC championship game of understanding that to beat Auburn they had to really kind of let him go and and take their chances. And I, I just think it was a lot more diverse offense. So I think Oklahoma is going to have their hands full. Uh, the Georgia running game is, is as everybody concedes, amazing. Uh, Michelle and Chubb are just uh, – they're men against boys out there. They're seniors. They've been there, done that. Both of them are physical specimens. Both of them are going to be high NFL draft picks. Um, I, I can't imagine them not having success against the Oklahoma defense. But I think Jake Fromm has really kind of come of age and, and can do a lot of damage – uh, as Steve mentioned in play action, I, I definitely expect Georgia to uh, to be able to control the uh, the action on offense. Now the question is, if you're a Georgia coaching staff, um, you you have to be tempted somewhat to try and employ a strategy where you keep that offense uh, on the field and keep Baker Mayfield over on the other sideline. So I think you're going to see Georgia come into the game with the approach of just trying to ground and pound and, uh, and move the chains and keep the ball and keep that offense off the field. When Oklahoma has the ball, it's going to be really interesting to see. I think the key is, to, is twofold. Baker Mayfield's going to make plays. He's going to hit, he's going to hit receivers. He, they're going to score some touchdowns. Uh, but the key is, if you watch Oklahoma in the second half of the year when they, when they clearly improved, uh, they started running the ball effectively. 
Uh, Georgia had a really good success against the running game other than on Johnson really tearing them up at Auburn. Uh, for the rest of the year, there was very few uh, teams that had any success running the ball, including Notre Dame, who I just saw their offensive line won the award for the best unit of the year. They averaged almost 300 yards a game on the ground. Georgia held them to 55 yards in South Bend. So uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge. For for uh, for Georgia, but if they can if they can keep Oklahoma from running the football and become one dimensional, that sets the stage for just intense pressure, a lot of blitz packages, and Mayfield will burn them some. But they have not seen athletes like Roquan Smith and Lorenzo Carter uh, against Ohio State. They saw a front similar to that to what they're going to see with Georgia, but they haven't seen the speed of a defense, the linebackers, the secondary. So if they can if they can take the running game away from Oklahoma, make them one dimensional, make them throw the football, that opens up the possibility that they're going to make life miserable for Mayfield and make him run around to make plays. So I think it's the combination of those two things: could Georgia keep the ball and keep him off the field uh, for prolonged drives, and can they uh, stuff Oklahoma and make them one dimensional? Georgia, I think, certainly has the edge when you handicap the game that way. But uh, the guy was holding the trophy as the best player in the country. If you're a Georgia fan, I don't think you can get too carried away uh, with being confident because uh, that guy's a gamer and he gets it done. So it's a formidable challenge. Should be a very interesting game strategy-wise. It it will be. The 538 Sports Index uh, also did, uh, I think it was 100,000, you know, matchups on the computer between the two, and I think Georgia won 52% of the game. So almost as evenly matched as Clemson-Alabama. I don't know. I just don't see the Georgia – I just don't see Georgia Nation respecting Oklahoma, and I, I think that's what can get you in trouble in some of these games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get to this point in the season, really it's the end of the season, and we get to this point in the NFL too, you know, uh, look, Auburn hung 40 on Georgia, but three weeks later, you know, they stuffed us. Now, granted, we had, you know, on Johnson is just an incredible player, and he was out, but, you know, uh, we only scored 24 on Mercer um, two months earlier, and we scored 40 on Georgia. So, you know, Georgia's got an incredible defense, but if you hit them in the mouth early, they're just like any other defense. Jacksonville's had a phenomenal mm-hmm. defense this year. They've taken the Jaguars to 10-5, and five, but this week San Francisco scored 44 on them. So, you know, yep. uh, Alabama's defense the last couple years, uh, even when Bama won the first year in the national title game, um, you know, uh, I forget the final score on that, but I know Clemson scored well into the mid to high 30s, and, uh, you know, uh, it was just a different game than people thought. So I, I, I really am, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more looking forward to the Rose Bowl than I am the Sugar Bowl, and I don't know why that is. I, you know, I think both of them could be very, very good games, but this is, uh, this really is, um, you know, uh, punch-counterpunch when you talk about Georgia and Oklahoma. So looking forward to both of these games. I don't know that I've looked forward to both semifinal games as much as I have uh, as much as much I have this year. And to make it better, I get to be at the Peach Bowl beforehand to watch Auburn play Central Florida, and then uh, even after that game concludes, have two more two more games. So it might be, it might be the best uh, January 1st day of football that I've seen in a long, long time. Um, let's pivot a little bit because we only have 35 minutes left. we got an hour show. Uh, today in we got to talk a lot of NFL stuff. So Steve, the Savage Burn, let's start with you because we're going to talk about the Atlanta Falcons and kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team this year. Um, you know, it's really hard to guess what you're going to get out of this Falcons team uh, from week to week, from quarter to quarter, from half to half. You know, it, it seems like they're really, really down this year, and I think they are. But, you know, they're 9-6, and six, and uh, on Sunday, uh, if they win and defeat the Panthers, they're in. And, Steve, even if they lose, they could still be in. Um, the Seattle Seahawks uh, also playing this weekend. If they lose to Arizona, then it doesn't matter what happens in the Atlanta-Carolina game, um, and Atlanta will be in. But, uh Give us your thoughts, Steve. You watch the Falcons very, very closely. Um, what do you make of this Falcons team this year? What do you think they're going to do on Sunday? And if they do defeat Carolina realistically, what are their chances of advancing very far in this year's playoffs? Well, Chip, I think it's actually been kind of just an up-and-down year for both of the squads. And I know Carolina, I think, has a game better or two in the standings. But um, overall, 
it, it's really been up and down. Carolina's losses have been really bad and, and turnover-laden, and so has Atlanta's. Um, the weird thing for Atlanta is that they've improved so much defensively. Atlanta has the ninth-ranked offense and the ninth-ranked defense. Of course, they had the best offense in the NFL last year, so that's a substantial drop. But their yardage is still pretty good. It's their scoring average that bothers me. They're only averaging 23 points a game. That's down like eight points from the year before. And it's really, I think, Chris Collinsworth a couple of weeks ago during the uh, Saints game that the Falcons actually won. Um, he, he put it best. It's just been a freaky season for the Falcons. They've had key turnovers at bad times. They actually broke down, I think, in that article that I sent you guys earlier this week, all of Matt Ryan's interceptions, and eight of them were physically yeah. in two hands of a receiver mm-hmm. before going yeah. into the hands of the defender. It's, it's just been a weird, weird season. Um, and you look at last week's game. Uh, in the game before, the Falcons got five crucial calls go their way that helped them beat the Saints in the game that they won. But last week they had eight horrible calls against them that really made it almost impossible for them to win. It's just been a weird season, and I think it's going to be a weird game for the Panthers and Falcons. I do think the Falcons at home with their defense will beat the Panthers. Cam looked awful last week, 160 yards, like 48% and an interception. It just didn't look good. And I think that Matt Ryan in the running game should be able to get him there, but I don't think they go very far in the playoffs. I think the Falcons will maybe win one playoff game at best. Um, but I, I think both the Vikings and the Eagles are much better suited to go to the NFC Championship game. Agree with you 100%. Steve Kipp, in the AFC, there are four teams that are vying for two spots. So unlike in the NFC, where the only two teams that um, um, that don't know their own fate are going to be the Seattle Seahawks and the Atlanta Falcons, in the AFC it's a little bit more complicated. You've got Baltimore who um, has the greatest chance to get in. They win in their end. Or if Baltimore doesn't win, they also get in if the Titans lose to the Jaguars and the Bills lose to the Dolphins. Um, so uh, 538sports.com has the Ravens' chance of getting in the playoffs at 94%. The Tennessee Titans also control their own destiny, um, but they have a very tough game this week with the Jaguars to get in. So the Titans win and they're in, or there's you know, uh, or they're in if the Bills lose and the Chargers lose. Uh, then you have the Chargers. They started 0 and 4 this year. They've started 0-4. Their chances of getting in are 31%, but the Chargers are still in the hunt the final week of the season. Um, But they can't make it without some help, and then the Bills can't make it without some help. So uh, the Bills are on the road this weekend against uh, Miami. We talked at the beginning of the show about how the – the Buffalo bad boy is sequestered until the end of the weekend, and uh, uh, there's still a chance. And, uh, you know, it, it's not like they have to win and then have seven different scenarios play out. Pretty simple. If the Bills win and the Ravens lose, the Bills are in. If the Bills win, the Chargers lose, and the Titans lose, the Bills are in. So it can happen. So, uh, Kip, what uh, – what are your? Uh, how do you see this? Uh, how do you see this playing out on the AFC side, and which uh, which two teams out of those four do you see sneaking into the playoffs? Well, I have uh, from doing the Red Zone Sports Report become a de facto Buffalo Bills fan uh, just by <laughs> osmosis here, uh, uh, and I, I I appreciate that Pete is in his fortress of solitude. Trying to uh, to in influence all earthly uh, uh, different influences to uh, to to ensure a, a successful trip to Miami, they have to take care of their business first. You know that assignment alone is kind of an odd one. Miami's got nothing to play for. Of course, they had nothing to play for two weeks ago when they thoroughly dominated the New England Patriots. Uh, so, I mean, it's a team that's really capable of playing at a high level, but gosh, week to week, you just really don't get that from them. Um, so I, 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 I kind of, I kind of like the, the Bills chances to go down and win at Miami. Um, that, then they need, you know, they need some help. Uh, the Ravens are, a, a you know, really one of my least favorite teams of the league. Cause I, I just, you know, their, their offense is usually so, so boring, but Alex Collins has really injected 
a, uh, a, a really a strong running threat into that team that they haven't had in the last few years and playing with a lot of exuberance. So, you know, the, the performance that, that they had a couple weeks ago against the Steelers, uh, I was really impressed with how they played, and, and uh, they, they could have easily won that game. So, uh, of the teams remaining, I, and I haven't bought in on the Titans all year. I, I, it, it's hard for me to believe that they're in this good a position uh, especially after they lost that heartbreaker a couple of weeks ago uh, out west on the coast against the Rams. So I, 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 or I, that, that game actually against the 49ers, the one I'm, that referenced in the last second, they, they kicked a field goal to take the lead. The 49ers came down and beat them uh, in the last second. So that was a devastating loss, but here's the Titans still standing. Uh, if the Jaguar team shows up that played last week, um, and just got blown away in San Francisco. Amazing how the 49ers are coming into the conversation with one Mr. Jimmy Garoppolo uh, doing some amazing things out there. Um, you know, that uh, th- that's looking really good for the future. Um, but it's amazing that they've come into play so much in this AFC race with the late season uh, schedule against the AFC South. I, I just I just don't really see the Titans and uh, but I don't know if the Jaguars are really going to show up. They uh, they've got their division locked up. They're going to be in the playoffs, so it, it's going to be tough for the Bills. Um, the Chargers, on the other hand, uh, that's a team that's probably got uh, as much defensive talent as just about anybody. Their offense has been up and down, but uh, they've got you know the weapons with Rivers and, and Melvin Gordon. And Keenan Allen has just gone off. I, I don't know what his physical condition is. I know he left the game early uh, last week with an injury. But um, I, I don't know. I, I just have the sneaking suspicion that the Ravens and Titans are both going to prevail. And uh, for the 17th consecutive year, it's going to be sad <laughs> times in Buffalo. I hope I'm wrong. Steve Butler, Savage Burn, your thoughts on the final four teams vying for two spots in the AFC to go to the playoffs. Well, it's, you know, the odds are when you need three things to happen in the NFL, that it's yeah. the odds are against you. Um, but right. that being said, the bills should beat the fish. And despite tips analysis, which I do agree with pretty heavily, um, I, you know, the Jaguars, by the way, how do you like the first week of the Red Zone Sports Report? I predicted they'd win the division. Oh, that was, yes, so I'm going to give them a little credit on that one. Um, but long story go short, burn. they could. Yeah, the Bengals are, are 63% favorite in Vegas. Jaguars, 62% favorite in Vegas. And they're both, you know, obviously getting a lot of points. Um, they're not favored in the game, but Vegas kind of likes them. I don't know, it, yeah. it's tough, but, but Buffalo could sneak in there. Odds-on favorite, though, has got to be Baltimore taking on Cincinnati at home. Um, Cincinnati's still Cincinnati this year, and, and they're probably going to be the team that ends up um, taking that sixth spot. Um, but you never know. I, I just think the Jaguars' defense, is, they're still playing for a lot of pride, and that Tennessee-Jacksonville game is always nasty. Um, so Jacksonville will come to play. They, they won't lay down. And I really obviously like the Falcons' chances we mentioned before because they have the tiebreaker on Seattle. But it should be a fun last weekend. Um, it it kind of stinks in the NFC. There's only one team that could possibly pull an upset and get in. Oh, that's right. That's exactly right. Guys, we've got 15, 18 minutes to talk about NFL coaching, possible coaching changes before we get into winners and losers on the hour show tonight. Guys, the average – the average turnover at the end of the end of the NFL season over the last 20 years has been 6.5 teams, an average of 6.5 head coaching changes. Um, that average has kind of bumped up over the last few years. In 2013, you had eight coaching changes. 2014, you had seven. This year, you've got 11 teams, I think, that are candidates for coaching changes. I think it's likely that you could see eight of them, possibly nine of them, end up changing coaches. So, guys, let's just kind of take them one at a time. And, and uh, you know, when, uh, we, we don't have time to talk about a lot of these teams, but would both of you agree that at three and nine in his third season in Chicago at 12 and 32 that John Fox is likely out as head coach of the Chicago Bears? Kip Kiefer, your thoughts on John Fox in Chicago. Is that going to be an opening that we see uh, on Monday morning of next week? Yeah, I'll, I'll be shocked if John Fox survives. Uh, 
you you get the usual uh, uh, the, the usual rhetoric has come out of Chicago that the players just love playing for this guy, and they go out and play hard for him every week, um, which just tells me the players probably love John Fox because he's been around a long time and he's always been kind of a player's coach, and maybe that's uh, but it's not really the environment that a, that a team like the Bears needs. So. Yeah, I, I I feel I feel like John Fox and Marvin Lewis are are the two definites on that list. I think it'll be Marvin Swan Song almost assured. I think he's even made noises that he's ready to step down yeah. because uh, he he's been there a long time and and just not going to get it done. So I th- I think that I think John Fox and Marvin Lewis are the two primaries and uh, and there certainly will be others. Interesting, um, and I agree with you on uh, I agree with you on Marvin Lewis. Uh, the team and and Lewis's representatives in the off season failed to come to an agreement on a contract extension. You know that's never good when you fail to reach an agreement and no. your team doesn't meet expectations during the regular season. So I think that's two that will. Steve, this is a unique one. I'll get your thoughts on this, Steve. The Cleveland Browns are O and uh, a million. Um, they are one and twenty-seven. One and twenty-seven. Um, Hugh Jackson is as head coach. You know, it's tough to see him survive that. And you know, but you hear word coming out of Cleveland that he is going to remain. He is going to remain as head coach. And my first thought, Steve, was, well, if you haven't lost the. If you go, if you actually one in twenty-seven, I'm sorry, he's one in thirty now because this. I was looking at a statistic from early December. He's one in thirty now, so in three years he's won one game as coach. And I'm like, what more can you do to lose your job? But then I think, well, if they fired Hugh Jackson, who in the world would want that job? Steve, your thoughts on the head coaching vacancy at Cleveland? Well, there's no vacancy. Listen, the owner put out a statement just a couple weeks ago. Hugh Jackson's going nowhere, and he absolutely will be our coach in 2018. So that's – they fired the executive vice president of operations, Sasha Brown, and they kept uh, Jackson. It's kind of – it's weird. And they hired a new GM in John Dorsey. So their front office is set for next season. Um, And and they've already announced that that's going to be their lineup. It's amazing to me, man. If we went one for 27 in our business, we would be fired and in another business. Um, But at at the end of the day, unless you're Joe McElhanning, unless you're Joe McElhanning running federal race. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I digress. (laughs) Cleveland Browns. I don't think that their uh, ownership knows what they're doing. For, and you heard me berate the Johnny Manziel decision. I, it, it's not – you can bring in whoever you want. And, and Redskins fans can tell you, as long as somebody owns the team that doesn't know what they're doing or, or won't hire people that know what they're doing, it doesn't really matter. So, I, I mean, the Browns are, are in a bad position because of their owner, not because of their coach. And, and their coach stinks too. Amen. Couldn't agree with that more. Kip, the Indianapolis Colts, Chuck Pagano. They're three and twelve. Of course, they didn't get the services of their uh, all-world quarterback this year, Andrew Luck. But certainly, all signs are that Chuck Pagano is likely out the door in Indianapolis. Your thoughts on that head coaching vacancy? Any chance he survives? No, I, I think he's the next likely to uh, the most likely of, of the other than the two I mentioned. Uh, I, I think he's overstated his welcome. I was actually surprised that he survived to go into the issue this season. Um, I, 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 that team uh, is one of the ones that you just scratch your head because, um, I don't know, the last three or four years they've been seemingly a rudderless ship. And the whole, the whole situation with Luck this year was really strange um, because supposedly he was working toward a comeback in week six or seven and, all that uh, kept getting deferred and then got get pushed back a couple more weeks. And obviously a calculation was made that this team is lousy. Uh, we're not going to put our $50 gazillion quarterback out there. Uh, there's just no point in doing so. We're going to get a better draft pick and, and be uh, – uh, but I, I, I certainly think if I'm, uh, if I'm uh, the ownership group of the Colts, the, uh, the Jim Irsay and, and, uh, and his cohorts – 
I think Chuck Pagano has definitely outstayed his welcome because that team really has shown nothing the last three seasons. So I, I think there's certainly going to be a change in Indianapolis. I think that's right. Steve Butler, Mr. Savage Burn. Let's talk about the situation down in Tampa Bay. Dirk Cutter goes 9-7 and seven last year in his first year. But this year, 4-11. and 11. Um, And you, you saw the outburst at the end of the game this past week with Jameis Winston. You know, the ownership group down in Tampa Bay has, has shown, you know, they don't have a lot of patience for losing. They fired Greg Schiano after the first year. Um, your thoughts on what's going to happen in Tampa? Is Dirk Cutter going to be back, or are they going to make a change? Well, I, I, you know, here's the unfortunate situation with Tampa. Dirk Cutter, really, all the assistants, everybody on that squad, they're all former Falcons, quite frankly. And it's really, yeah, they are. Uh, they, they, they really wouldn't be just firing a coach. You'd be firing a core group of players, of assistants. I, I mean, they, they really went about hiring in a bad way. Just adopting somebody else's losing program and thinking it's going to work in the same division is, I don't know, I've never even heard of that before. So long story short, I think they're kind of forced into being a little bit more patient with this than normal because it's not just a a coach firing. It's almost like having an expansion team once they decide to to go a different direction. Um, But the interesting part, I'd like, did you see Chuck Pagano's interview when they asked him what they thought, what he thought about his future? He said, oh, I'm good. (laughs) <laughs> That's all he said. He didn't say another word. He just said, "Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry about that." And, and so, long story short, I found that to be the best press conference by any coach this year. And I'd like to point out he was my loser of the week a couple of years ago for his press conference. So, anyways, interesting situation in Indianapolis. Kip Kiefer, what's going to happen in Dallas? I mean, how much longer can this ride last, this Jason Garrett, Jerry Jones ride? At some point in time, this has to come to an end. And so the question is, is this the year that it comes to an end? And will Jason Garrett be back or not be back as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys next year? I mean, it's just such a such a uh, bizarre situation because Jerry Jones just demands to be so hands on that you know he would have to pay a coach just ridiculous amounts of money to even take the chance to come there. You know, they tried that you remember years ago with Parcells, and that uh, didn't work because Jerry just can't stay out of the. You know, Steve touched touched on on uh, the owners uh, getting involved in football operations. And and Jerry has progressed a lot. I mean, he was a lot in the Dan Snyder category uh, back in the day, but Jerry actually has become uh, a little bit more proficient in terms of uh, his his self-proclaimed uh, position as general manager. But uh, but he wants a Jason Garrett type of individual that basically is uh, is is just a kind of a yes man on the field. So even if he runs Jason Garrett off and puts somebody else in there that's kind of got lieutenant status instead of instead of general credentials, uh, I don't really see much of the situation changing there. Uh, maybe Jerry's getting up in age enough where you know he he's willing to release the reins a little bit, but I really don't see that from him. And and uh, I, I think he likes the situation with Garrett. I think it's easy to say, well, this season was ruined by. The, uh, the the harsh punitive penalty against uh, Ezekiel Elliott that it would be completely different. I think they they have that excuse to hang their hat on, uh, but they've had some inexplicably bad performances. They had Elliott back last week, and yet you knew they were going to be a little he'll be a little bit rusty. But I mean, the Seahawks just went in there and whipped their tail. That was just embarrassing. Yeah, and and you know oh, last that's year exactly as Dak Prescott was. Yeah, as great as Dak Prescott was last year, I mean, he's had a little bit of a sophomore bump in the road this year because he's been asked to do more. Uh, Des Bryant is is a tempestuous force that you just don't know where he is mentally. There's Jason Witten is 56 years old. I mean, it's yeah. it's it, it, it's time for a little bit of overhaul with the skill players, I think, and and give Prescott some better weapons. But him and Elliott got it done last year, but this year it's just kind of derailed. So I think Garrett will be there again. Uh, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I, I think this could be the year they part ways, but it, it's so hard to get a gauge between, uh, you know, and what's going on in Jerry's head. And, 
and what you know Jason wants to do, what Garrett wants to do. I mean, there's rumors that you know, with so many possible openings, you know that uh, that you know Garrett and Jerry Jones might agree to a mutual parting of ways, and and uh, Garrett look at another job. But we'll see what ends up happening. Steve Butler, the Denver Broncos are five and ten. You know, very rarely. In fact, I don't think the Denver Broncos have ever fired a coach just after one season. But this certainly doesn't look like it's a fit for Vance Joseph um, in Denver with John Elway. They don't look like they have an identity. They don't look like they know where they're going. Um, uh, I tend to think that that, uh, Elway is uh, probably going to give him another year, but uh, I don't know. A lot of the things I've read over the last few days, especially some of the few Denver Broncos blogs, have seemed to indicate that, uh, you know, that that, um, no better than 50-50 that he returned as coach. So what are your thoughts on Vance Joseph returning next year as head coach of the Denver Broncos? Well, they haven't really said much. When we've heard, and by the way, Jerry said Jason Garrett is back next year. That's in stone, so he's not going anywhere. And The Denver Broncos have, have been very kind of close to the vest about what they're going to do. All the whole world says that Vance Joseph is not a good fit. I haven't heard anybody say that he was, and, and clearly it was an awkward season for him. But they also don't have a quarterback. It's really kind of hard to see what kind of football team you have when you have a hard time with, you know, center quarterback snaps. So, um, yeah. at, at the end of the day, uh, I don't – they'd have to really get, make a decision pretty quick. This is the NFL, which stands for not for long, and, and, and the good coaches are going to be off the off the turnstile pretty quick. So, um, if they're going to do something, they need to go ahead and make up their mind, I think, before the, the end of the playoffs. Agreed, and I, I tell you, we don't have time to go over uh, the, the rest of the teams that were kind of on the list too. But you know, uh, it's likely that that uh, Bill O'Brien will be back in Houston. He's got uh, one year left on his contract, and uh, I don't know that they will punish him per se for you know losing J.J. Watt so early in the season, losing losing Deshaun Watson, who looked like he was on his way to be clearly becoming Rookie of the Year. Um, so I think Bill O'Brien's probably back. I think it's likely that Todd Bowles is probably back. I think he's overachieved with uh, with the Jets, but we'll be watching those two situations. Um, word leaked yesterday that Bruce Arians was likely going to be out at Arizona, so that's certainly something yeah. to watch. And then what what does Detroit do? Um, what does Detroit do with Jim Caldwell? Um, you know, how about uh, the Giants? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, and what, and what are the giant? What are the Giants end up doing? I mean, it you know obviously they've already made a you know they've made a coaching change. Which which way did they go? Which way did they decide to go for uh, uh, for long term? I, I think it's unlikely that Steve Spagnuolo is is given is is uh, is given the reins to run that program um, outside of an interim tag. But it will be very very interesting to see. It's interesting, guys. Before we take a quick break and do winners and losers. Um, um, looking back at the 2000, right after the 2013 season, there were eight head coaching openings. We'll do a little bit of trivia because this surprised me. Those eight teams were the Bears, the Bills, the Browns, the Cardinals, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Eagles, and the Jaguars. 2013 after the 2013 season. So, folks, that was only, um, you know, that was only four or five years ago. So we're not talking about a long time. Of those eight teams and those eight new hires, only two head coaches remain from those, from those teams. Can you guys name the two, the two teams that still have their head coaches that they hired in 2014? Hmm. hmm. Uh, well, you just gave the list, so I should have, I should have been paying closer attention. Uh, um, <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I should have let you know that I was going to ask a question, but it's the Chiefs and Andy Reid. He's still the head coach at Kansas okay. City. And then a gentleman that I just named that is likely out at Arizona, Bruce Arians. Yeah, Bruce Arians. But it, yep. it's kind of funny. In 2013, after the 2013 season, the Bears fired Lovey Smith. They, they hired Mark Tressman. Uh, only lasted oh, two right. seasons yeah. before he was replaced by John Fox. The Bills in 2013. Does anybody know who the Bills fired in 2013? Was it Doug Marone? Uh, Chan Gailey? Chan Gailey was fired. Oh, that's right. And Doug Marone was hired. So, he was hired. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to believe that Marone was given 
the reins to the Bills organization after the 13th season, and that they've already gone through and recycled Rex Ryan from that. Here's something that I did not know. Here's something that I and did not know. And if you guys now with the Jaguars. <laughs> yes, he is. Oh, yes, right. he definitely yeah. is. He definitely is. Here's something I didn't know. I was going to see if you guys know. Do you know who the Browns fired after the 2013 season? And can you name who they hired? Uh, I remember the guy they hired was a, was a real no name. He was like an offensive line coach. He didn't last long. I, uh, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm drawing a blank on the Clevelanders. Maybe maybe the Savage Burn has the answer. <laughs> Savage Burn. Any thought? Your offensive coordinator. <laughs> Um, I'm so after the 2013 season, Cleveland fired Pat Shermer. They yeah. fired Pat Shermer, and they hired Rob Chudzinski. That's it, yeah. Who lasted? Oh, oh, oh. He had a rather ethnic name, but yeah, that, that's that's right. Well, it's even worse. He only lasted a year. Do you know who One they year, fired yeah. when they fired Rob Chudzinski? Do you know who they hired? Oh, that was before Hugh Jackson. I don't either. Uh, I, <laughs> I had to look it up. Oh, man, I mean, who, would, who would know this? Mike Benton. Oh, so the last four head coaches of the Cleveland Browns are Hugh Jackson, Mike Petton, Rob Chudzinski, and Pat Sherman. Oh, and we wonder why this organization is where they were. And then you had the Chargers that year, too. They hired <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, Steve, what were you saying about that organization not knowing what they are doing? So um, pretty interesting to watch that. Um, and then in 2014, um, there were seven changes, um, and uh, three of those seven uh, coaches have already left, too, and we already mentioned the Browns. Um, Greg Sheehan only lasted one year in Tampa Bay. Then they hired Lovey Smith. Now they have Dirk Cutter. Um, as Steve said, NFL in this regard and this time of year stands for not for long, and the statistics certainly show that. Folks, we're going to take a 30-second break. When we come back on the other end of the break, we're going to take winners and losers. So stick with us, and we'll be right back on the Red Zone Sports Report. Possibilities, but I, I, and I was not the least bit surprised that the Saints prevailed last week at the Superdome. Like Steve said, it seemed like they got every break after getting none in Atlanta. But I, I have to give, I'm going to give my winner this week uh, for the clinching of the division title, Sean Payton and his coaching staff. Uh, kind of a veteran group. They've been there a long time, and they've they've gone from a high wire, three ring circus, thrill a minute offense to that team has really made an interesting transition. They they they're, they play physically now. They're hard nosed. They're more dependent on their running game. Uh, their defense, which has always been a laughing stock, has really played extremely well. So I, I I really am impressed with what the Saints have been able to accomplish this year. Because you remember they opened zero and two. So uh, to, yeah. to to put on the uh, to put on the the, the move that they have and clinch the division against their arch-rival, the Falcons, on Sunday. Uh, pretty impressive accomplishment. 
My loser of the week uh, is is the is, it, this is a potential loser of the week, but uh, based on the games coming up uh, on Monday in the college football playoff, the loser of the week is in the words of my uh, great radio partner here in Birmingham, Terry Quillian. She says that the she she gave me the prompt today for the loser of the week is potentially all of the Yankee football fans of college football because it's very likely that the finals in Atlanta, Georgia, are going to be uh, Georgia against Clemson or Alabama. Uh, and she says uh, that she, she coined the phrase a couple of years ago when o- Oregon played Ohio State. She said, I am not watching that Yankee, that, that Yankee championship game. <laughs> so now she is, she's laughing all the way to the bank this time in anticipation of an all-South. So my potential loser of the week is all of the Yankee football fans. Uh, and, and, and from an SEC guy, we can just say, uh, you know, deal with it, guys. It, it sucks for you. <laughs> very good. Very good winner and loser. Steve Butler, Mr. Savage Burn, your winners and losers for the week in sports. Well, my winner of the week is going to be Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, mm-hmm. phenomenal Dave. performance this season. Um, and this process started a few years ago, to be honest with you. For the last three years, they've done nothing but make good draft picks. Um, but more importantly, this is the shocking part. Everybody knows about their third-ranked defense. They have the sixth-ranked offense in the NFL with played mortals yeah. in the saddle. So kudos to yeah. the Jacksonville Jaguars and their entire organization. Um, my loser of the week, and, and, you know, you always kick these things around, but I don't know if you all caught the military bowl today. Virginia just got oh. curb stomped, 49-7. Oh. Uh, it was hard. Uh, they scored on the yeah. opening touch uh, kick of the game 100 yards and did not do another thing. Bronco, uh, Bronco Mendenhall should be ashamed of himself. Navy's good, but they're not that good. And the ACC has come up as the second-best conference in, in football. They should be ashamed of themselves. Virginia is my loser of the year. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. I, I Steve, I tell you, win. I did see that. Um, and uh, my winner uh, I of the know week. you watched uh, it. So. Yeah, it was awful. It was just horrid. But um, my my winner of the week, and I was hoping to get a more competitive game, I did not realize this until that game had come to a conclusion, but my winner this week are the service academies because this is the first time ever, ever in the history of college football that the Naval Academy and Army won a bowl game in the same year. Never happened. No kidding. It's hard to believe as long as those those service academies have played. It's hard to believe it's never happened before. Uh, Army defeated San Diego State last week, 42-35. to um, Navy winning an impressive game this week. But like you said, Steve, um, it was hard to watch because it was like, you know, um, Navy can be a good football team, um, but they really shouldn't have been beating Virginia or anybody in a ball game 49-7. to So, yeah, if you're Bronco wow. Mendenhall – you know, you you got to be uh, you you got to be apologizing to the uh, to the Wahoo veteran uh, brethren that made the trip. Um, my loser of the week, all New York Giants, but especially Eli Apple, um, who was suspended for the final game for conduct detrimental to the team. Looks like that whole team is just falling apart. You hate to see that with Eli Apple. He's an incredibly talented kid. Um, a lot's going, a lot of go, lots going on with him. Hopefully the Giants can right the ship. Hopefully Eli Apple can right the ship because I think he is talented enough to be around for a long, long time. So my winner, the Service Academies football team, Navy and Army for winning a bowl game for the first time ever. Never, ever happened before. And then my loser, Eli Apple and the New York Giants. Folks, thanks again for listening. We will be back um, next Tuesday on January 2nd. So the evening of January 2nd, we're going to talk about all these coaching firings because they will all have happened by then. And we're going to recap the national semifinal championship. And 
the Buffalo Bad Boy will be back. Win, lose, or draw. The Bills win, lose, or draw. The Buffalo Bad Boy will be out of sequestration, and he will be back. So uh, <laughs> thanks to the Savage Burn, Steve Butler, and our college football guru, Mr. Kip Kiefer. And most of all, thanks for you for listening to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Legg. Have a safe and happy New Year's, and we will catch you next Tuesday, January 2nd, as we recap Week 17 of the NFL, and we preview the college football championship game. Thanks, folks. Have a happy New Year. We'll catch you Tuesday.